Welcome everyone to another episode of our Coffee Podcast. In this episode, I have uh, two guests from uh, all the way from Denmark, so recording in this over Zoom. And that's maybe why the sound quality is not perfect, but high quality content is more important than uh, high quality sound, I think. <laughs> but uh, I am now speaking with Ida Sten and Morten Munchau from Coffee Mind Academy in, uh, in Copenhagen. And uh, they are both uh, researchers, like proper researchers. <laughs> and have done a lot of great work when it comes to uh, uh, researching coffee, coffee roasting, and also uh, the sensory aspects around coffee. Uh, maybe you can start uh, by introducing yourself a little bit, Ida, and tell us who you are and what you do. And... Yes, I'm the sensory scientist of Coffee Mind and have been working in Coffee Mind since 2014. At the moment, I spend most of my time on an industrial PhD project where I investigate how you can train to become a better coffee taster and, and smeller. Um, so that's, uh, that's super interesting. And apart from that, I'm, I'm doing consultancy and research for Coffee Mind and also doing teaching a lot of the, the sensory SCAR courses. Mm. I think that's, oh, yeah, briefly what I'm doing. covers it. <laughs> and what about you, Martin? Maybe you can give a quick introduction. You've been here on the podcast before, but it's always nice to hear your voice. Yeah, so um, uh, yeah, so I basically consider myself a, a teacher and a, and a researcher and a consultant. And uh, uh, I love the way that our consultancy and education informs the research on what is relevant. So we only do research if it's relevant for the community. And, 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 but the great thing about that is it's really inspired research, which is really great fun for us to be part of because we kind of know that there's somebody out there who, who can actually need it for something in their daily lives. Um, and uh, I've been teaching coffee roasting uh, since 2007, started coffee roasting in 2005. And I've, I've calculated, I've, cal I've educated more than 1,600 individuals in small groups of six to eight Wow. <laughs> so that's a lot of people. Yeah. So I've been speaking with so many people on how, how to understand the roasting process. And, and for me, uh, the roast uh, roasting is uh, has kind of two legs. One is control and another one is evaluation. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty good at controlling, but the whole evaluation thing, that's the sensory. And I'm, I don't think I'm a bad <laughs> cop or anything, but I, I don't think I'm amazing. So I just felt that if Coffee Mind were to kind of be complete, I needed some more serious content on the whole sensory uh, part. And this is where in 2014, I was lucky enough to do a project uh, with Ida at the university. And uh, when she was done, she, there was no other job in the other end. So yeah. I was lucky enough that, that kind of, that we could start to put some serious content into this other leg that I felt was a bit missing. Mm. And uh, I really feel that that vision, the more we work with it, the more, it seems like it was true that, that there's a lot to, to gain from being much more systematic on how we work with the sensory, uh, the way we understand what comes out of the roasting process, what types of descriptors, how do we build our theories, what are we looking at, how are we serious when we, when we educate people in the sensory, how do we do that from a scientific point, point of view, and this is where EDAS PhD comes in, if you, if you want a no-nonsense, 
nonsense approach to teaching people sensory, what would it look like? And, yeah. and I, I really feel that ES PhD is, is a really good answer uh, on that. And hopefully the, the rest of the kind of in, in international coffee, coffee business will be inspired by that over the next 10, 15 years on, on building on solid ground rather than a lot of fluffy concepts. That's <laughs> kind of, uh, um, so that, that's why uh, Ida and I, we make up a good team covering different bases for uh, the importance for, for coffee roasters out there. Could you just quickly give us a couple of examples of the work you've done Ida, with the, your sensory research and how you can apply that in practical terms in the coffee world? Yeah, I think one of the first studies we did was a study for best water technology, where we looked into how different water filters, um, if we, we use that for brewing coffee, how they have affected the, the taste of the coffee mm. and the flavor. I think that was the first really fascinating and interesting study for me to see how could I use sensory so practically in the, in the coffee world. Yeah. yeah. And it's something that gives such a big difference in the, in the flavor of the coffee that is so easy for people to understand and detect, detect the difference that you see there. Yeah. Uh, do you get a lot of surprising results when they do this kind of research or? Uh, for me, it was really surprising to see um, as, a, as a first or a starter into to the to coffee business, how big uh, influence the water actually uh, has on the coffee. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, as a coffee professional myself, I feel like uh, because we use these kind of uh, uh, cupping evaluation forms when we taste coffees, uh, I've always felt that they are a little bit uh, strange to use. <laughs> There's a lot of categories there that I don't feel like I'm yeah. properly evaluating. And can you just tell us a little I bit totally quickly understand. on how like, you, we have how you a, work? Yeah, we have a quite different approach to it. What we use is a descriptive sensory analyze, it's called. So we're only using a descriptive terms. Um, we have a sensory panel of 10 highly skilled uh, tasters, and then they sit down and first they, they start with a training calibration session where they have to agree on specifically what, what do they find in the coffee, what basic taste can they use, and what aromas can they use to describe what differentiate these coffees that we serve for them. Mm. And then very importantly, we serve the coffees blinded, so they don't know what the study is about or anything. Um, and then after spending hours together training, um, then they decide on maybe, maybe 12 descriptors that they can use. And then they are sent out in the, for the actual sensory profiling where they mm. get the coffee serves in usually triplicates and, or even four of the same coffee. Um, and then we can look into are they able to, to describe the coffee in the same way all three times that they taste the coffee without knowing it's the same that they are tasting. And then they have to focus on only in the intensity of each descriptor. Yeah. So how, how sour is it? How sweet is it? Or how much does it taste of, of blueberry? And then during the training session, we always have a reference for them to taste. So if we are talking about the blueberry, we will serve them actually blueberries. So we are sure that they all understand and remember how do they smell. Um, and the same with the basic taste, even though we all think that, that we understand what is the taste of bitter and sour, it's always good to have it right in your, your mind before you go to the actual tasting. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel myself when I, especially when I do trainings for uh, what we call normal people or end consumers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of times they get confused between acidity and bitterness. They, yeah, they can't really distinguish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it's so important to actually have a taste in, it, in its pure form. So you're sure that also when you talk to your customers, do they, when they say bitter, do they actually mean bitter or do they mean, mean sour? Yeah. I always like to serve it in a watery solution to be yeah. sure that 
we talk in the same way or we have to have the same frame of of discussing and i think there's an, a small thought experiment that's useful for the listeners to to kind of understand what does it mean no nonsense uh, for example if you look at coffee bags you would see often at different types of nut uh, uh, described uh, on the bag so a no, no nonsense approach would be to to take uh, the different types of nuts, if you have a roastery, for example, where they have got different bags and they would uh, report, for example, cashew, walnut, peanut, almond. And then you ask, okay, who put these descriptors on? And then there might be three, four people. And then, all right, let, let's have a little exercise here. And then you would take those nuts, grind them, put them in a little cup with a lid on, with small holes in it. And then you would test if they would even be able to recognize the real nuts. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, and uh, this is an interesting exercise that uh, when we've done it, never really even on the nuts. Yeah, I would say they, they will the find cottons. out how difficult it is to actually detect them and differentiate them between them when you have the nuts. But then when you go to the next step and actually have to detect them in the coffee, that's where it becomes real difficult. Uh, yeah. Oh, of course. So there's a lot of yeah. small, boring kind of no-nonsense training sessions that are rarely part of the formal education. That if you don't get that right, there's no, there's no way that you can do, be correct when you kind of start to uh, describe a product, right? So, so Ida's approach is, is really specific, and that that's very different. Uh, yeah. But uh, we're here to talk about uh, something that you have just launched. It's a new flavor wheel by. Coffee Mind. And first of all, uh, I just had a tasting with a, a group of people from China. Uh, it was uh, yeah, just a month ago. And uh, your old flavor wheel was on our wall. And uh, when they looked at that, they said that a lot of times they don't identify with these uh, descriptors that is on the flavor wheel. So why do we need these flavor wheels? And uh, why have you made another one? Like, do we need uh, yet another one? And Please feel free to elaborate here, Ida. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the one you have hanging um, is our old aroma wheel. Yeah. So that's um, only one circle with, with two layers. Um, and that was where we started out. Uh, we developed an aroma memory game where we were missing the aroma wheel as a tool. So that's how we first came up with, with actually making it. Um, we have to say that it's it's made from our cultural perspective. So many of the aromas on that wheel is is something that we use and the people we we talk with uh, would do. So it's I understand if a group of people from from China they probably miss some some fruits or yeah. uh, stuff that that they have there that we we don't have here. Mm. Um, so in that way, it's might be a bit cultural specific. Um, but can you explain what a flavor wheel is and why why do we need another one and <laughs> what's what's yeah, so, different about the yours? <laughs> so, so what was missing on the aroma wheel was was the rest of what is flavor. Yeah. Um, so flavor is all overall description of uh, the basic taste, the aroma, and mouthfeel. Um, and some would even go further and say it's the whole experience you have when you are drinking a coffee that can influence uh, your flavor perception of the coffee. So even the, the soft chair you're sitting in may, might also influence uh, the sweetness perception. Um, but the way we like to talk about flavor is that it's uh, definitely aroma, the basic taste and mouthfeel. Mm. And then we like, like to make it very clear on the wheel how they are differentiated. Um, there are already many other flavor wheels out there and a frustration from, for me when when I've used those have been how um, how taste has been divided into to lower categories. 
and in when I'm teaching, I really like to make it clear to to only talk about the basic taste as a basic taste and and be able to to serve the references from for those to to my students. So when so you say ba basic taste, you mean like uh, sweetness, uh, acidity? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So the bitter, sour, sweet, salt, and and umami that you can detect only on on your tongue and and in your throat. Mm. What kind of references do you use? Uh, is that something that normal people can do? Like uh, go get a lemon and put it in water or something like that? Or For sure, yes. You can also, if you want to do it more, even more scientific, you can buy citric acid. I think you can buy that also in most uh, supermarkets. Yeah. But definitely a lemon would also uh, give you the experience of sourness. For bitterness, uh, you can use a uh, tonic water or a grapefruit and then pinch your nose if you really want to focus on, on only the, the basic taste and not the aroma that's coming from the yeah. grapefruit. Sweetness, sugar, salt, um, table salt. salt. Yeah. Umami is coming from monosodium glutamate um, that you can usually find in Asian supermarkets. They will sell it as uh, the third spice. Yeah, um, It's used to add good flavors to, uh, to sauces and uh, deliciousness <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's what it means in japanese i think so you, you as a, if, if i wanted to kind of train myself in in recognizing those uh, just putting it in plain water and then tasting it is, is yes, the way to go yes. yeah and then i would start in a high concentration to be sure i understand how they taste and then as you become better and more familiar with each of them you can dilute them into lower concentrations Mm. Yeah. And then what about mouth mouthfeel? Because I've see I see on this uh, new flavor wheel, and for those of you who haven't seen the flavor wheel, maybe we should tell them where to actually download it so they can have a look at it while we're talking about it. Is it on their website or? Yes, um, it's uh, it's on our web shop. We sell it for five euros. But um, if you seek us out, we might share it with our mail list soon. Um, yeah. So that might be a good idea. <laughs> What's your but website? it is uh, available on our website. That's uh, coffee-mind.com. And yeah. uh, in our webshop, we have downloadable PDFs, and this is one of them. And uh, where does the five euro go to? <laughs> <laughs> that goes to future research. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Because uh, it actually costs money to, to do this kind of work. It's not, uh, you know, sharing a PDF is, uh, of course, for m most people seems... Uh, harmless to just share a pdf but uh, you're actually this is actually your full-time job so you need to make money on uh, yeah one of the doing. things doing research is really expensive and and i don't know if you but most organizations doing research is not small two people companies so we no. invest a lot of time uh, doing things at the university that for us the business model is to uh, the uh, uh, the money comes again in the in the education part of it yeah all right, so if you download the flavor wheel, you, I, I can also see that you have added uh, a little circle or half circle or quarter circle that says mouthfeel. Can you like quickly go through the different mouthfeels and why, why, why you chose those different words to be on this uh, new uh, flavor wheel? Yeah, in, in general, I have experienced through all my teaching that, that mouthfeel is something that many people are confused about. Um, I think especially because body is something that we talk about in, in the coffee industry as yeah. a word. And I have seen that many people, they don't really know what is body and how to use it. Um, and maybe the reason is that on the SCAR copying form, you have to differentiate between um, at the high quality body and high intensity body. Yeah. And I think that that leads to some confusion because the way we see body is only the 
the viscosity of the, the liquid. So going from, from thin to, to thick espresso, for example, or comparing a filter coffee with, a, with an espresso. Mm. Um, so that, that's why we like to take yeah, mouthfeel as a top word and then divided it into these uh, four lower categories that we found the most, uh, most useful. And the four lowing one is gritty. Can you explain what gritty yeah, is? Yeah, so we have a gritty, astringent body and coating. And grittiness is when you feel the particles in the coffee. Mm. For example, if you have a French press compared to a filter coffee or turkeys or a Greek coffee, you will be able to feel the particles from, from the grounds. Yeah. And then we have astringency, and that's this uh, mouth drying experience. And body, the, the viscosity. Yeah. And coding is the oily uh, the feeling. Okay, so you could uh, train uh, this by having maybe some oil in water and uh, maybe comparing skim milk to cream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, astringency, how would you train that? Is that something uh, you could easily... Um, you can uh, over and extract an Earl Grey tea will um, really oh, yeah. dry out your mouth uh, completely. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you put milk and sugar in it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> And the grittiness, yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, goes without saying. You just put some fine grinds maybe in, in coffee. I've actually experienced myself when, when I cup coffees that even if I don't have particles in my mouth, I can still have a sensation of grittiness in the liquid. Uh, is that something you find as well? or? Generally, we, we talked about the mouthfeel as something that, for example, if you do a cupping uh, at a green coffee supplier, it would... Our impression is that it would be very rare that you that you can use the mouthfeel to really differentiate. Because remember, our no-nonsense approach is that it has to be a big difference that is for sure perceivable. And most often, those differences comes up with different brew techniques. For example, the body encoding. I wouldn't really expect to be sure to use it correctly unless I'm dialing in an espresso mm. where it can be clearly... Uh, watery or oily, mm. or if you really feel that there's a high intensity of of, uh, of stuff in it, so that it it can explain the viscosity. Because remember, in filter coffee, it's 98.5% uh, water, and uh, any modulation in viscosity is not very likely in in when most of it is water anyway. Mm. Um, uh, and so so most. Uh, my intuition is the mouthfeel is more relevant when comparing or choosing, for example, brew methods than, than actually uh, comparing a Brazilian or a Kenyan. Uh, uh, at least if you want to make sure that what you describe is real differences and not just a kind of interpretation or a kind of something you just experience rather than being sure that there's a physical correlate in the outer world. Okay. Um, yeah, so, we have a use body as a descriptor in many of our sensory profiling, sensory analyzers, and it's always one of the descriptors where I see that it's the most difficult to replicate the same score for the, for the panelists. So, yeah. so for sure, it's difficult when you compare different filter coffees. Um, yeah. I often find that uh, if I do cuppings uh, together with staff or you know other cuppers, and then I would maybe write on a coffee that I feel like it's uh, light bodied or you know a bit thin, and then you can easily have another person saying the opposite about the same coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's uh, correct. Like, uh, I, I guess, you know, extraction is something that will definitely influence the concentration of coffee and also the, how you perceive uh, maybe the mouthfeel and everything. But uh, yeah, I don't know. 
I like the approach that you're not doing it based on feelings. <laughs> it's something that you need to actually find. And of course, I myself as a taster, I can use my feelings and, and say what I feel. But uh, mm. um, I think it's important to have some common, common uh, language that everyone can use in order to describe taste. So when we talk about grittiness, uh, it should be self-explanatory what, what it actually is then. I can't help to just mention now that uh, something I also mentioned in my podcast, uh, what is the relationship between the feelings and the art and the technicalities below it? And the, it's a good point that you're making. Everything is about the feelings and the uh, impression or the experience that you get as a copy professional and your customers. So, so science is not here. We are not here to kind of uh, get rid of feelings or more complex descriptions of coffee, but we are here to make people clear about the basics. Mm. And uh, Stephen Lee has a great uh, model for this. When, he, when you start to play an instrument, you need to go through a lot of technical training. And only when you perfect the technicalities, you can express your art. And we feel that right now, um, the, the education traditions in the coffee community globally has this last 30 years been kind of gathered around a lot of non-precise and kind of experienced feelings uh, models uh, and, and, and only to leave people very, very confused at the basic technical level. Mm. And, and uh, we feel that that doesn't express the art perfectly. So we are here to get, make people clear about the basics so that they are even better at expressing the art. So we are not the scientists trying to take the soul and the aesthetics out of this. We are actually here to support it by making you even better at the technicalities of uh, playing your instrument. Mm. But this is an important distinction because I don't want us to be the boring ones trying to take the soul out of stuff. We're actually here to do the opposite. <laughs> That's very important because yeah. scientists are often the boring ones, only wanted to talk about numbers. And we only want to talk about the boring and numbers to the extent that we support the art artists doing even better art. Mm. And I mean, uh, I, I find your new flavor wheel to be very interesting because there are two things that uh, is not very obvious when you talk about tastes that it's my attention is drawn to immediately when I look at this PDF. One is a little uh, red thing in the left corner called temperature and the other one is on the right corner called time. Can you explain uh, like why, <laughs> why are those there? <laughs> Yes, so the temperature we added uh, based on a research project we did on how temperature influences uh, the taste and aroma release of, of coffee. And we saw that the, the serving temperature really influenced uh, the aroma of, uh, of the coffee and also the taste. So that's why we wanted to put it there to remind people to, to really notice how, uh, how the coffee taste um, changes uh, while the, the coffee cools down. Yeah. A great example of that is uh, like for us, when we serve espresso in our store, uh, we serve it in actually cold, quite big cups because uh, our roast style is quite light and there's a lot of concentrated acidity in the espresso when you drink it hot. Uh, but as it cools down, you start to feel the sweetness and the flavors much more and it kind of balances yeah. out the acidity. So I guess that's what you're kind of... That's uh, exactly what we found. Um, we found that at high temperatures, there's a lot of... Um, pyrocins that are known for these roasted flavors. So, so when you taste the coffee hot, you will mainly be able to taste all the, 
the roastedness, and then while it cools down, they will evaporate, and then you're able to, to taste the more fine notes uh, mm. of the coffee as the sweetness and the fruits and, and all that. Unless the coffee is really the... bad, then it will taste really bad when it cools yes. down. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really important point. A bad coffee, you should drink uh, hot, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the neurological fact that you have some pain receptors that takes over all the signals when it's even when it starts to become above 45 degrees. These uh, uh, pain receptors start to fire, and when they are at 55 or 60, that dominates the signal that you get from your mouth. So mm. it's it's not only the flavor release that Ida talked about, but it's also neurologically. The, the all the uh, details are masked by the uh, pain receptors firing. Wow! And it's so interesting it, how is there an ideal temperature then to drink at or? Um, it's interesting because if you ask consumers, many consumers will will want their coffee served at temperatures at 70, 80 degrees, yeah. which is, as Morten explained, is, is way too hot to even taste anything. Um, what we saw from, from our research was that the highest temperature we included was 62 degrees, and that was actually a little above the pain threshold. So that one was excluded just because of that. So from 56 degrees, uh, we started to, to see a difference. And then we tasted it even down to 21 degrees. And it actually became more fruity and more sweet at the, the lowest temperatures, around 30 degrees. Mm. But, so, if... but I wouldn't say like one temperature to taste your coffee. I would really start from the 55 degrees and then taste it as it cooled down and experience uh, how it changed yeah but either don't at education we would kind of wait for it to be below 55 and tell people yeah. okay now you can taste all the details so mm. yeah and also when we do sensory profilings it's also important for us that the coffee is tasted at the, the same temperature and there we would also never start before 50 degrees Interesting. Also, so it doesn't cool down too much during the tasting. They will always spend maybe half an hour tasting. If you start at 70, it will cool down much quicker than if you start at 50. Yeah. It wouldn't have cooled down as much during that half hour. We're actually quite aware of uh, temperatures when we serve coffee in our coffee shop. And one of the things that I know myself and some customers also complain about is that our coffee gets cold fast. And that's because we we actually actively cool it down a little bit before we serve it. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so so yeah. that they can uh, enjoy the coffee immediately, you know. Um, but um, yeah, <laughs> some people like to sit with the coffee for a long time and then you need some kind of vessel to kind of keep it at a drinking temperature mm. for, uh, for a long time. But it's a really important consumer concept. Um, uh, I, I've, it's funny because I've, after Ida's uh, research, I also thought you shouldn't preheat your cups. You should actually put them in the fridge yeah. <laughs> so that it, it's quickly, it quickly uh, cools down. So it's interesting that you actually do that in your coffee shop. Yeah. Uh, but there's another, this is filter coffee and it's a bit more forgiving. Of course, there's something that evaporates while it cools down. I would prefer to just get it cold, to drink it immediately and not lose anything and not kind of start the aging process. But with cappuccinos or uh, it, it, or flat whites, it's a catastrophe because then you really sit between two chairs. Do you want for the uh, foam to be old yeah. to get the correct uh, <laughs> drinking temperature? Or, and this is so, but this is a huge problem for consumers because some would just, if it's if it's lukewarm, they'll think that the rooster did a mistake, right? Yeah. So you kind of, it's a bit of a difficult thing because there are so opposite opinions between different consumers. So you would really have to know your consumer to make the right decision yeah yeah i mean uh, as an example we actually make sure we have very hot uh, cups for the milk drinks because we don't like to steam the milk too hot because <laughs> yeah. yeah. then you kind of lose a little bit of flavor so 
in order to kind of uh, because the customers feel like if we're just serving it in a cold cup uh, from the steaming temperature that we have the, the drink is too cold for them so the trick is then to kind of preheat the cups a little bit more and then uh, so that it's uh, at a good drinking temperature for the customers. Yeah, and so the flavor wheel, the reason why it is on the flavor wheel, we thought about the flavor wheel of some kind of checklist or something to kind of keep in mind when you when you do a, a, a coffee evaluation. And temperature is for sure something that influences everything. So that's, that's why, and it's also Ida's uh, uh, master's thesis was about this, and it was scientifically published. So it's a pretty heavy part of coffee mind to know about this so that that deserved a separate uh, space on on the flavor wheel for sure and then they have time is that uh, uh equally important or <laughs> yeah <laughs> well um it's basically because we had a conversation with you before we created this so we talked with you and coffee collective uh, before doing this flavor wheel and uh you reminded us how time um, uh, was an important factor. When you take a sip, there's like a time span. I don't remember what your time span was, but perhaps during uh, after a minute, the whole experience throughout a minute or even longer, and even an espresso, right? You can still taste it 20 minutes after. Yeah, especially so, espresso. So, so, so one question is, so if you, uh, if you judge the quality, when do you do it? And the next question is, well, it's probably not just one time. It's it's the experience after drinking it. So that 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 there's this very important element uh, as well. Uh, so that's kind of the two dimensions that all of the rest is unfolding in, right? So mm. time and temperature is is uh, two physical kind of <laughs> dimensions of how everything in the aroma, mouthfeel, and taste um, unfolds in. Mm. So that's two two really. Um, um, great dimension to kind of remind people that you should consciously decide something yeah mm. because it would affect all your other decisions you very often hear when you listen to wine people describe wine they normally first they describe the the nose what they're smelling in the glass and then they when they taste it they describe the opening like the opening section what what do you what's your immediate kind of perception of the getting the liquid into your mouth and then they talk about the middle part, which is kind of when you have the liquid in the mouth. And then, of course, you swallow or spit it out. And then you have like an aftertaste. And of course, it can be a long aftertaste as well. So I'm, I'm very much into, a, you know, a coffee experience, as you say, especially espresso. It's not just the experience when you have the liquid in your mouth. <laughs> it lingers for a long, long time. And it can be terrible, like in the, in, in the worst uh, Worst cases, you, you're kind of longing for to get something else in your mouth as quickly as possible. <laughs> or it can be like the most uh, wonderful aftertaste that you, you can go and like really feel like that sweetness from the coffee. And uh, obviously, because there's a lot of oils in the coffee that's sticking in your mouth and, and doing something when it's mixed with the saliva and are irritating your taste buds. So when we uh, include aftertaste in, in research projects or in sensory profilings, we always agree on a specific time where we compare the aftertaste. So if we want to have it included as one of the, the descriptors, mm. we would say, okay, this is the aftertaste after 10 seconds, after 30 seconds, after one minute. Mm. So we are also sure that we can compare each uh, copper's uh, Yeah, that's a good idea. Aftertaste. 
yeah because otherwise it becomes can be a little bit fluffy like aftertaste when or after how long time is it that you mean that it's still sweet or awfully bitter yeah and then you have the big circle which is kind of the normal uh i would say the, the most familiar one if you look at different flavor wheels you have some kind of inner uh, categories, floral, berries, fruity, dried fruit, ferment, sweets, chocolate, nutty, and so on. And then you have kind of more precise descriptors in outside of that again. Can you explain a little bit uh, why you chose the different categories? Uh, you know, why do you have garden peas there, for instance, and rosemary? Is that something you find a lot in your research? Or where did you find all these uh, kind of descriptors? And um, the wheel is used as uh, the, our main goal of it was to be able to use it for education purposes, so to teach the SCAR courses. So, so from that reason, we wanted to include all the little cafe aromas. So that's, for example, why garden piece is there, because yeah. part of the exam system is in the sky is to be able to detect all these uh, 36 aromas in, in that uh, aroma kit. Um, so as a training tool, we wanted the students to, when they smell the aroma, they should be able to find it on the on the wheel. Yeah. The rest of the descriptors are inspired by talking to hundreds of coffee people, um, looking at coffee bags and and other flavor wheels. Yeah, I feel like sometimes the the descriptors on the bag can be quite wild. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, we chose descriptors that are specific descriptors. So our goal was that you can go to a supermarket or the closest grocery shop and actually find the, the descriptor so you're, you're able to make a reference and actually smell it and taste it. Mm. Will you be developing like a guide for how to find these different things? Like I know that the SCA was it that made the research and they have like a thick... Uh, yeah, they have a very specific uh, lexicon. Uh, yeah. yeah, the sensory lexicon, will... that's what it is. Are you going to do something similar? Um, I think similar, we or? would like to have it a little bit more open. Um, so it will be for each panel that are sitting using the wheel, they can they can decide on what type of licorice are we talking about or what specific grass, because it will always be difficult to to make it worldwide. Um, yeah. Then you would have to use linear cafe aromas or these flavor active uh, ingredients. Yeah. Like that has been a bit of the problem from some of the things in the in the lexicon. For example, they have a reference for a specific American blueberry brand, mm. and then if you are located in in Denmark, you will not be able to find exactly those blueberries. Um, so in that way, we we think that it's it's fine to use it as with the people you are copying together with, go out and find the ingredients, and then calibrate on, on what you can find. Yeah, this is just a really interesting part of it because this is where the cultural specific aspect of it comes in mm. and um, uh, we, we, we are training Ida's, or Ida's training the sensory performance in South Korea uh, and also uh, actually next month for the first time in, in uh, Riyadh and Jeddah in Saudi and, um, and uh, we are because we've started to work with the Arabian Coffee Institute uh, and they want to bring a uh, uh, our uh, coffee mind uh, content to to the Arabic world, so we're already getting our books translated. Um, and this is interesting because when I sent this the aroma wheel to to Elmo uh, uh, for translation, so we've already translated in, into Arabic. He was just, why is tomato under herb and vegetal vegetal? And he also I don't remember. He also had another way for him the, that category. He felt because that 
I think he said that that's a berry uh, or a fruit. Yeah. <laughs> and this, um, but in, in Denmark, you would find the tomatoes um, under the vet, uh, vegetables, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so there's, there's, there are, it's, it's not only the specific descriptors that are a problem cross-cultural, it's also uh, the, the categorization. Mm. And, uh, and in South Korea, it's completely different. So it, it mm. could be so interesting to go into this and first of all, with them create a flavor wheel that's relevant in uh, in their regions and next step how to get uh, the references to calibrate people to detect all the the things and then the whole category thing is a problem and this is really interesting because we, we, we claim that we are working from a scientific perspective and and how does science do this and it does it completely opposite um so when when i, I studied biology many years ago and during botany it was very clear that there's a huge discrepancy between uh, how fruits and, and uh, vegetables are classified in a supermarket and scientifically. Yeah. I just remember some crazy things. If, if you look at it correctly in a systematic way from a botanical point of view, uh, um, uh, a strawberry is a nut <laughs> and an apple is a pseudo fruit and a cucumber is a berry. And that's because they've kind of, we have to just, not think about what's happening in the supermarket. We have to kind of look at the, the uh, how a, a flower is 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 uh, growing into a fruit, and we have to make some very systematic definitions. And in, in those system, uh, definitions, a, <laughs> a strawberry ended up as a nut, and um, a cucumber as a berry. Um, and and uh, but but that's not a problem because they they are using it correctly. And and this is where our educational purposes is over the scientific purpose in this sense. So form follows functions. So the purpose of this is education. So we'll do what we can to include scientific principles. Um, and another interesting thing that is scientific in a sense is that you can, you can teach the anatomy of sensory perception with the flavor wheel because it correctly distinguishes between taste, which is happening in the mouth and flavors, which happens in the nose. So we've tried to kind of make it simple and scientific for the aspects of science that makes sense for education. Mm. Interesting. I mean, uh, a lot of times I, I hear that uh, people don't identify with the descriptors that are on coffee bags. So I'm, I'm personally a fan of maybe using the categories more than the actual uh, words, because uh, if I say floral, I don't really care if it's rose or jasmine, you know, unless it's really obvious. Um, but floral for me, that describes, you know, the kind of, uh, style on the coffee more than uh, if you just are very specific but what you're saying now is that i can't really use the <laughs> categories either because it might oh. confuse <laughs> no i really like uh, like your approach uh, to do it like that uh, we have also done it like that in many research projects actually because we didn't want to spend time on being so specific on on what uh, is it an orange or an or a citrus fruit um, or lemon um, yeah so in that way, like you get, maybe it's enough to know is it is it nutty or berry or fruity, and then it's up yeah. to the each customer to decide what type of nut or. Yeah, exactly. I think you know the the more kind of specific descriptors can be more you know a fun thing for each person to figure out. But uh, as a as a salesperson, yeah, then... it, it doesn't really make sense to kind of go very specific in because I think people will maybe feel a little uh, left out if they don't find the same flavor and yeah, they maybe exactly. feel stupid or. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then at least you gave them some direction by giving them an, a broader category. Yeah. So they know what they should look for. I also feel like a lot of times when I do 
cuppings uh, with my staff, uh, I try to tell them not to spend energy on describing whether it's floral or tomato or hibiscus or don't spend any time doing that and spend your time describing mouthfeel, acidity, these kind of things, aftertaste, because at the end of the tasting, they have already written down all these kind of strawberry, <laughs> all these descriptors anyway. Yeah. Uh, but if, if you don't remind them to look at mouthfeel, because for me, as a coffee bar at least, that really dictates whether the coffee is high quality or not, how smooth it is in the mouth, how sweet it is, what, you know, if the acidity is nice. And uh, it's much more important than just the aromatics. Mm -hmm. That is kind of more like a bonus for me. Like if the coffee is good quality, it's great if it has some specific aromatics that I can pick out, but it doesn't need to have it, you know. Um, it's just uh, for me like an extra bonus if it has. Yeah, it's a really good idea to, to change the focus during cupping because you quickly end up spending all your energy and trying to choose uh, the specific aromas. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And for me, I think, uh, I mean, I, I personally maybe don't use flavor wheels that much when I cup, but... Uh, Sometimes when I'm a little stuck uh, trying to describe something that I, I know the flavor, but I just can't find the word, that's when I would uh, go and look at the flavor wheel and like, oh, yeah, of course, it's that. Or, <laughs> But uh, I guess in education, it's a really, really uh, important tool to be able to, to show people, you know, uh, what, what kind of flavors you can find in coffee. And sometimes, you know, also if they're negative or positive, like ferment you have here on the wheel. Um, uh, is that something new? Have, I'm not sure I've seen that on other wheels until now. Or Yes, it's uh, it's new and it was also not on our aroma wheel. And I, as I remember, it was actually after talking to you that yes. we uh, <laughs> <it's> included. <laughs> Wasn't it? it? It was actually after talking to Coffee Collective. Ah, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah, because... because uh, uh, yeah, you wouldn't add it as part of coffee, right? You would put it under the syrup category. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's uh, the um, so the ferment part. Uh, I was just in South Korea in June to kick up kickstart our collaboration with the X twenty nine on Eda Sensory Performance, and I uh, I got some really interesting. Uh, anaerobic uh, coffees that just tasted like something I've never tried before. So, mm -hmm. and um, so, and I just don't know, everybody uses those at the competition at the, at the moment. And we couldn't really describe that with our flavor wheel. So, and I felt that there was a bit of a weakness because they are just out there, these coffees and, and it was weird not to even have a category for it. Um, so, and also uh, that was one of the things that Casper said that, uh, that he felt that the, there was a lot of ferment uh, coffees out there and, and, uh, and that's something that he, he also has found it, 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 uh, it relevant to include in the, in the next version of the, the flavor wheel. Mm. Um, on, and we really struggled with that category because how, what to include, uh, what kind of, uh, should ferment just be, we thought it could be under dried fruit. For example, it could just be a descriptor under dried fruit, another category in itself. Mm. But tasting so many different anaerobic um, uh, coffees that tasted very different, we felt that we need to include it. Um, and, and then what subcategories? And we, we even went and talked with the professor of, of uh, microbiology at the, the university to kind of, what would he add? What would he think would be relevant? 
And we, we thought that we didn't want to kind of our flavor wheel to be able to catch all the different types of uh, uh, anaerobic fermented coffees because we never know what the next one would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we thought that vinegar is something that is typically comes uh, and vinegar aromas, not necessarily vinegar itself, but vinegar aromas. He said that that's a that's something you cannot argue. That's that's part of it. Definitely. Uh, yes. So that's relevant. And then spirits, we just that's just a broad category. If it's cognac or whiskey or whatever you. Uh, so so in that sense, we've kind of added it so that we can kind of discuss it. But it's a very small part because it's a huge area in itself that we didn't want to. Uh, map out um, because it's just too big and unknown uh, uh, as it is. Um, so that's why we just added it um, because it's relevant uh, from an education point of view. But so uh, anything that tastes ferment is at least something you can just talk about the category without going more specific. Yeah. And that's kind of our simple solution <laughs> to that. Uh, to a very complex uh, subject. I mean, we can discuss yeah. fermentation mm. for uh, <laughs> for years. <laughs> yeah, and Tim, uh, I I just listened to the Funky Coffee podcast episode, and I found it really, really interesting. And uh, I plan to make a, a follow up on that uh, oh, great. comment uh, on that episode, uh, uh, talking with uh, Dennis and uh, Michael Eyalin from Food Science to try, kind of understand what is it and get some more systematic and um, uh, yeah. That's a big area in itself, but it's it's interesting. Um, it's a kind of split and divide the subject, I think, in coffee. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's always discussion about fermentation and the threshold, like when is it fermented and when is it not? And But I think, you know, on this flavor wheel, like the word vinegar for me belongs to ferment. Like that's normally the descriptor when if a washed coffee is a little, uh, kind of has a long fermentation, you start to get these vinegary flavors that is very easy to pick out, you know, um, and it's quite uh, intense. <laughs> uh, and it can also be subtle, but uh, it's definitely there when it's there. I just had a coffee from Kenya that I wasn't really sure. Is it vinegar or is it just really, really ripe fruits that I'm tasting? And I had to recup it and recup it with other coffees that with and without ferment to kind of to just check, you know, am I crazy or is it there or is it not? But uh, <laughs> I ended up concluding that it was not. So, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it can be a really struggle because the the flavor profile is very similar. Like it can have this slight strawberry or like very ripe mango flavor, and you kind of uh, get a little insecure. But also like spirits, especially. Um, the anaerobic coffees i think a lot of them has this kind of rum flavor and whiskey yes. flavor yes and uh, we just uh, found it enough to just put that spirits as a broad category because otherwise it wouldn't end kind of that that mapping so mm. we we feel that we allocated so at least people can discuss about it but not too much because it's it's uh, also and that's also your point it's not really part of coffee so it's not that i i think they are interesting so the, the idea that the pulp is not part of the coffee as such uh i think it's fun i think there's a market for it i like them personally when i taste them but but um but it's also in a sense not coffee to the extent that we wouldn't even know how to map it out right yeah. it's a it's a it's a thing that's not related to the coffee and therefore you cannot really never uh uh, uh 
be done mapping it out. So that this is our kind of pragmatic solution to to that problem. Mm. Anything else we haven't covered in terms of this flavor wheel? Yeah, I wanted to just briefly uh, mention or discuss the aspect: is it science? Is it not science? We've already uh, uh, kind of talked a bit about it um, because all the other flavor wheels uh, either preferred the the counterculture before making. Oh yeah, that's a beautiful version. one. Yeah. Yeah. And then also the SCAs, of course. Um, so one of so we have some principles we are working in uh, here in Coffee Mind, and uh, one is simplicity over complexity whenever possible. Uh, and um, all the good thing you can say about the counterculture, either still felt it uh, still felt it was a bit too complicated for education, uh, um, which is, doesn't make it bad, but just for the purpose of education, it's a bit confusing. And the SCA. Uh, there are three uh, three levels of categories, and uh, they haven't uh, clearly distinguished between basic taste and mouthfeel, which is uh, oh sorry, basic taste and aroma. So the basic tastes are a bit scattered in arbitrary categories, uh, which is uh, it's okay, but it's not very clear from an educational per, uh, point of view. And this is where you have to kind of what is science and what is science not. So we feel that our wheel is scientific in the sense that it follows the empirical tradition of science that a descriptor is a descriptor if you can find a physical correlate that you can calibrate a panel up again. So everything you see on the wheel, you can buy something and you mm. can say, this is it. Mm. So that that's it's scientific in that way. We haven't done um, a, a consumer uh, cluster analysis as the SCA uh, ha have done, uh, where they've asked consumers uh, or coffee professionals to categorize all these. Um, but but I also think it has a weakness to be correct scientific in that sense, because then you are on the mercy of these coffee professionals of what they want to include. So if they've included some specific assets that we don't think is chemically true to have, but it's just because that those coffee professionals, they describe different types of organic assets as part of their description of a coffee, but that doesn't make it chemically correct. Mm. And that is confusing for a community to get a lot of chemical concepts in a flavor wheel from a respected university. And they think that they would have fact checked that these assets are relevant from a chemical point of view, but that's not the case. And this is where, that's also something I talk a lot about in the podcast that form follow functions when you do a research project, the form of the research projects and the methods you use needs to be aligned with the purpose of the project. And if the purpose of the project is educational, you should be careful just taking some pretty random coffee professionals and have their say on what categories should be included without also asking somebody with uh, insights into chemistry. Does this even make sense from a chemical point of view? Mm. So, so things can be scientific in different ways, and they can also be correct from a method perspective of scientific, yet they miss the point, right? The operation uh, succeeded, but the patient died. So uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, you have to be careful just because something is a scientific method. It might be the wrong method, yeah. right? And and this is something we are uh, a bit sensitive to when we work with the community and education, because if it's not directly relevant and applicable in, in the community, it might be misleading mm. and actually cause more damage than good, uh, even if it's a scientific method that, uh, is behind it, but it might be an irrelevant scientific method. 
because we have as a community we have kind of fallen in love with science for the last uh, five years and if you just put the word science after something <laughs> everyone's like oh it's science yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> but, uh, it's not necessarily good science all the time and i guess that's your point like or even uh, if it's good science it might not be relevant science yeah yeah for the purpose of education and community best practices I remember we talked a little bit about this in the episode about organic acids. You mentioned this, uh, your findings were, uh, was it citric acid that you found a lot more citric acid in the Brazilian coffee, whereas uh, exactly. uh, the coffee community would like, no, that's wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's exactly, so, so the chemistry of things is not something, and this is a big problem always, that, that if you don't understand the complexity uh, and the importance of uh, independent sensory evaluation and you just think that you can, com uh, can predict the sensory properties by knowing the chemistry, you're way off. Mm. And this is something that our community hasn't kind of woken up to yet. We have also found that in, in other research that, that you can have a big modulation and change in sweetness between samples and the sugars are below sensory threshold and doesn't change. Mm. <laughs> so it's not sugar causing the perceived difference in sweetness. Um, and uh, so, so we just, and this is why we are just hammering in. Don't just uh, skip sensory, and if you do sensory, make sure to use a proper method. And this is where the SCAA uh, or SCA uh, copying protocol is a huge catastrophe when used as a scientific endpoint for sensory data. For many reasons, and I'm really going through that in my later postcards outside the scope of here, but that's a perfect example of form follows function, mm. that, that you have to make sure that your, your method is correct. And this is where sensory science is often kind of, yeah, and we, done, we did some sensory. Well, how did you do it? Were you sure to do it so you, did, you didn't do it wrong? Did you, were you sure to do it so it was relevant? All these questions are kind of, ah, yeah, that's sensory, it's subjective. So, why it's not a science anyway, and that's just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just pisses us off. I, I, uh, so much I remember that this we, arrogant uh, kind of approach to sensory. We did uh, some research with the Norwegian fertilizer company Yara, or you did some research with them uh, with the sensory. And you know, uh, I remember the early talks about that, and I had an idea like, oh, they they're testing all these kind of different things, and we should cup the coffees and you know use cupping forms and evaluate. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is not a good way to, to find any any good information when it comes to research. Yeah, and that's I guess where Ida comes in because you are actually using uh, quite uh, uh, rigid uh, systems in, uh, in in terms of researching whether or not there are different tastes in the coffee. Uh, if it's there or is it not? You know, it's it's yeah, more exactly. like yes and yeah. no instead of being like a is it a six or is it a nine or is it <laughs> do, do i feel intensity or not i think you know the the cupping forms are great for like buying coffee i use it a lot when i, I buy coffees and um, for that purpose and i think that's what it's made for but it's not made for you know scientific research i think form follows function right yeah, yeah. it's a method that's developed for another purpose yeah then don't, don't just take it to a different domain and think that it can also serve a purpose there yeah definitely <laughs> And, and, and one thing, the, the methods that we use, it's not something that we came up with. It's methods that's uh, developed in the 70s, I think. Uh, and the kind of the core concept of doing it correct is to distinguish between qualities and intensities. Sensory description and consumer uh, uh, research, if you just 
kind of get that simple different, then you will not end up with uh, cons- uh, wrong conclusions. Mm. But this is this is so so it's 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 not new, and it's not it's not we didn't come up with it. We just apply it in the education and consultancy that we do. Mm. So so in that sense, it's it's not that weird. It's not new. It's just not implemented yet, and we are the ones wanting to do that. Mm. So to, I think we need to start uh, rounding up, but uh, are you still doing the sensory trainings, uh, Ida? Is there, is there a way for people to, to do those trainings still? Or? Yes, um, we both have a SCAR sensory intermediate course coming up here in March, I think. We still have available seats. <laughs> and then uh, we're doing the sensory performance course, but at the moment in Saudi Arabia and in um, South Korea. Okay. Well, I would go to South Korea. <laughs> I love Korean food. Good excuse to travel a bit. Yeah. But yeah, like... I'm going to uh, Saudi uh, in March, where we're doing it in Riyadh and in Jeddah. So if you okay. are, your listeners are lucky enough to be there, and then we also have one in South Korea in February, right? Yes. So where, can, February. where can they find information about these uh, courses on their website? or X29 in South Korea and Arabian Coffee Institute in Saudi. Okay, excellent. And the flavor wheel was on your website. Will you be making posters and selling posters as well or? I'm actually ordering, I think 3000 posters today and uh, I'll send you hundred. Uh, <laughs> but basically, actually we don't sell the posters. They had, it's a nightmare to ship. Yeah. So we've just printed a lot um, and kind of give it away to, to people who are visiting us Great, uh, or our good friends. Um, I'll, I'll make sure to maybe have a competition or something where people can uh, win the poster. We can do okay. the shipping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think, you know, uh, every respectable uh, cupping lab in the world has a flavor wheel on the wall. I mean, that's the first thing you always see in the cupping lab. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, true. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, this one is definitely a very interesting one because you have added uh, stuff that I feel is very, very important uh, not to forget when you taste coffee. And that's, you know, the actual uh, taste qualities of the coffee rather than just the descriptor. So I really feel like uh, you're onto something here that can be probably also further developed in the future. But uh, at, least, yeah. at least for now, it's really refreshing to see a flavor wheel that's don't only speak about aromas like you called your previous wheel aroma wheel and that's what it is but uh tasting coffee is so much more than just aromas and uh, we need to refocus uh, ourselves when we when we taste coffees i think and this is a perfect tool for that great cool and you you just uh, started your own podcast morton yeah we we did it's well it's i started easy. the first couple of episodes but yeah. we have so much Basically, Ida and I, we've been speaking about so many things behind the scenes the last eight years, and particularly what's right or wrong from a scientific perspective. Yeah. And we've been very diplomatic up until now. But now, <laughs> I, just, now I just felt that, uh, why, not, why don't we just share all our thoughts in the world? And then yeah. we can take the beatings, and then at least, hopefully, we have helped the community uh, shift to a higher level when it comes to methods. Because... We have so many things to talk about, and, and, and it's really a relief to, to, to get it out there. And I'm sure pe- a lot of people will get uh, offended, but that's why I've really tried to spend an hour explaining what is science. So I really go th- back to uh, uh, scientific theory, 
theory of science, research design, and uh, I have eight points of a good theory. So I've compiled a model, uh, eight features that you can evaluate a theory up against, whether it's good or bad um, uh, from an uh, application purpose. Um, mm. So I'm really trying to take uh, our egos out and just, this is a good theory. So let's discuss, uh, discuss these principles rather than uh, making it a personal, uh, which ego is right or wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so really want to start the community discussing what does a good theory look like and then discuss all the different theories. And I come with a lot of really good examples, I think, from very well-established ways the community is navigating and how the, uh, many of those are wrong for a lot of reasons, not just because I don't like them personally, but because they don't align with scientific methods as established. Science is not just a, a, some kind of sexy words. It's a specific method developed through a lot of historical uh, scientific break breakthroughs that are really useful if used correctly and can do a lot of harm if done used incorrectly. So I'm trying to make it clear how, what is science and how is it used correctly? And let's discuss everything in the light of that rather than who's right or wrong. Mm. So th 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 there's a lot of uh, uh, surprises, I think, for many people in this podcast, but I really hope that it's a move uh, where Ida and I can contribute to taking things to the next level from a method perspective. Mm. I mean, sometimes the truth hurts, hurts uh, but it's necessary to to hear it to progress you know and uh, uh i'm a person that will uh, sometimes get offended when i hear the truth but uh when you in retrospect when you think about it it's like oh yeah they were right you know it's uh <laughs> <laughs> it's but, but again it's not because we are right it's no, because no, no. the principles the right principles applied right are right yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i understand and what's the name of the new podcast you have coffee uh, coffee science for coffee partners Ooh. And it's available on all platforms. Yeah, great. I will make sure to check that out. I haven't had time. Normally, I listen to podcasts when I travel, but I haven't been traveling for a while. So I have this huge bibliotheque of podcasts that I need to listen to. Yeah, uh, I think we've got eight episodes out now. Wow. Yeah, I need to start uh, listening then. Otherwise, I'm uh, going to be outdated very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me on this podcast. It was a real pleasure to see you again and also talk to you again. It's been a while, but uh, hopefully we will be able to meet soon. And, yeah, Definitely. We'll... Thank you so much for uh, having us on today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Take care.